I think most Americans would agree that 2016 was a pretty dramatic year with unrest in the streets in the U.S., a divisive election that's still responsible for dramatic headlines even as we get to Christmas time. But there was something else going on around the world. In 2016, God has been at work around the world, calling people to himself, even in some of the hardest and most difficult places on earth. And I see a Muslim woman, and she's completely covered. All I can see is her eyes. I looked directly into her eyes, and she looked directly into mine. And it's like the Lord just superimposed this profound fear from her heart to mine. I know that Satan came and stole my family, but God allowed it for a reason. It's not for me to question that. And I accept that I had to stay behind. I will never get all these answers, but I believe God is sovereign and he is in control. We can't change this, but we're not gonna waste this. And, and so how can we bless God even through the death of our son? Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. Today and next week, we're going to revisit some of the most moving moments from this program in 2016. So if you'll stay with us for the next half hour, I know that you'll be challenged to pray and get involved as you hear some of the difficulties faced by your brothers and sisters around the world. And you'll be encouraged to hear what God is doing, how he is growing his church in spite of opposition and persecution. To begin, let's revisit some history. You know, The Voice of the Martyrs was started in 1967 by a man named Richard Wormbrand, who was a pastor sent to prison for his faith in communist Romania. One of the highlights for me in 2016 was interviewing a man who was one of the very first Westerners to visit Pastor Richard Wormbrand after his release from prison. This was 1964, so we said, well, it's time for us to drive from the Middle East to Europe. This is Dale Rotan, a missions mobilizer with Operation Mobilization. He was with OM back in the 1960s when he and some of his fellow staff members took a detour on one of their mission trips. They made their way to Bucharest, Romania to meet Richard Wormbrand because they had heard that he was just out of prison. And we came and we were 10 to 15 people in the living room. I was looking around the room trying to figure out who has just been released from 14 years in prison. And I didn't see anybody that looked like they'd been released 14 years in prison. So I asked the young man on my left and he pointed to a man over in the corner and I said, yeah, and I looked at him and he was shining. His face was aglow. And, and he just seemed to have a happiness about him, a peace. And what does he talk about? He talks about wanting to go to Paris and get up in the nightclubs and preach the gospel in the nightclubs. He talks about going to Israel, to the Knesset, 
and uh, he would like to have somebody go with him who could hold the people off so he can preach the gospel. <laughs> and then our man, Ray Lynch, uh, said to him, said, you know, they'll put you in prison for that. And without missing a beat, Pastor Vermbrand said, yes, I get two years. So here's a man. He's just released from 14 years in prison. What's he doing? He's thinking about how he can get back in prison. <laughs> That's Dale Rotan from Operation Mobilization. He's talking about meeting Pastor Richard Wormbrand, the founder of The Voice of the Martyrs. We're reviewing highlights from 2016 here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. This year, we've heard several stories of regular people who were called to serve the Lord in dangerous places. One of those was a woman named Jamie. She's now working with Crescent Project here in the U.S., an organization that helps American believers reach out to Muslims. But there was a point in her life when she really had no interest in that kind of outreach. My husband and I embarked on our mission journey to East Africa. And I remember sitting in our orientation and being handed a book about how to reach Muslims. And I remember taking that book back to my house and putting it on a shelf thinking, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not doing that. In my mind, there were two things. That was for frontline, hardcore missionaries. Really brave that's right. That's right. And, and also, I'm not going to lie to you, after September 11th, I had some really hard feelings and things that I would never be proud to share <laughs> with anyone. And so for me, that just wasn't an option. And, and I thought that because of the area that we were going to be in, that I would never encounter Muslims anyway. And so it, it didn't really occur to me. And it really all started because a, a girlfriend of mine was working in a clinic in the east side of town with Somali refugees. And the first thing that happened in my life, and this is probably paramount for the whole journey, was just identifying with Muslim women just seeing how much we had in common. She paints her nails, I paint my nails. She worries about her kids, I worry about my kids. You know, things like that. And so I think even at that critical moment, the Lord was just kind of breaking down the stereotypes that I had in my mind, the misconceptions that I had in my mind, even at that time. And in a clinic environment, there was also a pretty deep compassion component, seeing things that truly broke my heart about the context that Muslim women um, live in but I should probably preface by saying I'm not a fearful individual. Fear is not something that usually grips me. But when it does, it's profound and, it, and, it's, and it's very, very deep in my heart. And so as I'm driving down this, this major metropolis, I'm thinking to myself of all the security training that I'd had. My eyes are bolting everywhere. And I see a Muslim woman on the far side of the road, and she's completely covered. All I can see is her eyes. And as I watch her cross the street, I notice that her eyes are doing the same thing as mine. She's scanning frantically. And I'm thinking to myself, what is this about, you know? And as she gets to the corner of my car, all I can tell you is like the Lord just pushed pause on my life. And I looked directly into her eyes and she looked directly into mine. And it's like the Lord just superimposed this profound fear from her heart to mine. And... um and that was very, very powerful for me because, as I said, I don't deal with fear on a regular basis. But at that moment, the Lord said to me, she lives there. And then, you know, he pushed play and everything just keeps going. And I really honestly wanted to hop out of my car and just grab this woman and just, you know, hug her. But, of course, that would probably contribute to her fear issues. But it was just a profound moment for me, for the Lord to show me that Muslim women live without peace. And that absence of peace is something that I've never encountered in my life. I've taken peace for granted. 
and and to feel that sense of fear of never knowing if you're good enough, never knowing if you have the creator's love, never knowing if you have your family's full support and love, no matter your choice, always being afraid. I can't comprehend living in that worldview. And so that was truly the pivotal moment when the Lord was like, this is it. That's Jamie Staples. You know, she never talked with that woman in the roundabout. She doesn't know her name, but God used her to grab Jamie's heart for Muslim women. I pray that in the year ahead, we'll all have a sensitive heart for what God is trying to grab us for, what he's trying to grab our attention and put it on, or grab our heart to reach out to people. As we review highlights from the Voice of the Martyrs radio in 2016, Let's hear from more Americans who were called by the Lord to spread the gospel. Bob and Casey were nearing retirement age. Bob had worked for a major airline. But instead of drifting into retirement and taking it easy, they are on a huge adventure, ministering for Christ in Central Asia. It's a process that has required a lot of patience. Uh, we were in our host country for maybe nine months and had not made a contact with the people group we're trying, we're trying to. And we're praying about that. And, you know, you question, Lord, why are you here? What are you doing? Did we miss you? All these things. And then, you know, out of the blue one time, you walk up to somebody and you begin talking to them. And that begins the beginning. I mean, it's totally a, it was totally a divine appointment. You know, you do all the things you're supposed to be doing and you do them right and you do them prayerfully. And then you have to wait on God. And... It's not always our best, <laughs> our best thing to do is wanting to wait. What advice would you give to people like you in, in that sort of second half or in the tail end of a career that, that are maybe going through a transition? Hey, we're thinking about retirement. We could go play golf. We could hang out with the grandkids. Or maybe God is leading us somewhere else. How would you kind of advise them to think about that and pray about that as they go through that time of life. Prayer is going to be the most important thing and assume if you do begin to experience what we call the holy discontent, um, I would say assume that's from the Lord and assume that he's trying to get your attention and start asking him, um, what are you trying to say, God? And, And he will take you step by step. People often ask us, how did you give up this and give up that? And and we have given up things. We have grandchildren that we don't see very often and children that we don't see as much as we'd like. But, but we say, well, we, we didn't give anything up. This is a joy. The joy we get doing what we do is, you know, when Jesus said, don't worry if you've given up family, mother, father, brother, sister, I will give you that a hundredfold. He was telling the truth there because we have family in, in countries now that I couldn't spell And um, we feel as close to them as as anyone we know. That's Bob and Casey, two Americans who left behind the American dream in the second half of their life to minister in Central Asia. As we review the highlights from Voice of the Martyrs Radio in 2016, we're going to hear about another couple who left a comfortable home and followed the Lord's call to a dangerous place. Hanalee Gronwald, along with her husband Werner and their two kids, left South Africa and moved to Afghanistan to talk to others about Jesus. Werner was a pastor and Hanalee is a doctor. Making that move took a lot of courage. And Hanalee continued to need God's strength 
as reports of Taliban attacks kept coming to this family. And I told Vanna, you know, I know, I don't have enough faith. What if Taliban storms into our house and and wants to kill us or do something bad? I don't have enough faith. And I think God prepared me because for that month or two months before the attack, I was on my knees before God in the mornings during my quiet time, and I was begging for more faith. And I think God was preparing me for this. I, I want to talk now about 2014. And that morning, November 29th, just a normal morning. I mean, it was you a just normal morning. Get up. You went to do some work. The kids were at home. How did you find out this was not going to be a normal day? You know, until four o'clock the afternoon, when the attack already happened, I thought it was a normal day. <laughs> it wasn't my day to work at the clinic that day. I usually worked on a Wednesday, but the Wednesday they called me and they said, you know, we, we suspect there's going to be an attack in Kabul on Saturday. And we want you to be one of the medical staff present during a UN meeting in one of the hotels. And I did not realize that that attack was actually going to happen in, in our house that afternoon. While Hannah Lee was serving at the medical clinic, she heard about an attack in her neighborhood and she headed that way. But because of the investigation, she couldn't get close to her own house. Authorities took her to a neighbor's house. I know that I was just reading Psalm 91 over and over and over again. Psalm 91 begins, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. When I read the Psalm over and over again and I prayed over that, a peace came over me. Another worker phoned me and she said, Where are you? Only I want to come to you. And she sounded kind of hysterical. And I thought, What on earth is going on with this lady? And I told her where I were. And then other workers came, other missionaries. Th these guys, I knew them very well. And they said, Hanley, this is going to be the longest night of your life. And I said, why? What's wrong? Who got injured? I really believed until the end that nothing happened. And then he told me, you know, all three of them are dead. I just sat there and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. So they took me to their home and gave me some tea. And I still just sat there and I couldn't believe that was surreal. I mean, that's just too huge for any brain, human brain, to to comprehend. So at, at what point did it start to dawn on you, I'm a widow, my, my children have been killed, my husband has been killed. How did that start to sink in? I think through the night I realized actually what was going on. And I cried a bit, but not that much. But I was so overwhelmed because it was not my NGO. And it's dangerous for people to come from abroad and close down the NGO. And I didn't know how to do that. So I just followed. But God had this wonderful thing of people taking the lead and helping me through this. Other missionaries that came and helped me. And we, we closed down the NGO. We did what was needed to be done. I went to identify the bodies. I went to the house to see whether there was anything that I could retrieve. And there wasn't. One of the things, and for our listeners who are listening, we're, we're speaking with Hannah Lee Gronwald. Her husband and her children were killed in Afghanistan. As a part of the attack, the Afghan military fired rocket-propelled grenades into your house to fight the attackers. But what ultimately happened is the house burned. Basically, everything inside the house burned. 
including your documents, your travel documents, your papers, everything, except one thing. The, the, tell us where the fire stopped, because I think this is a little piece of God's hand at work. The fire stopped in front of John Pierre's room, and the two children's bodies were lying in his room. And, and I've seen the pictures of the rest of the house. It, it looks like a war zone. I mean, it looks it's, like a fireplace. But his everything room burnt did to not ashes. burn. Yes. The fire stopped. Just stopped in front of his room. And it felt to me like Daniel in the fiery furnace. And God really wanted to protect their bodies for me to take home to South Africa, to repatriate and for them to be buried in South Africa. And I think of that as one of God's blessings to you. You had been reading Psalm 91 about safety and God is my rock and God is protecting me. Did you ever feel like it says that you're protecting us and here my family's been killed? I think it's normal for every person to have those questions. But I didn't want to dwell on that. I didn't want to dwell on why, Lord, because... You will really ble- you will bleed to death. You will not get the answers. So what I've learned instead is to ask, what now? And what do you want me to learn from this? And how should I proceed from this? But of course, yes. When I hear testimonies of people that have been rescued from danger, for a moment, it just goes into my mind, Lord, why didn't you protect my family? But, you know, we all have to go. We cannot stay on this earth forever. And... God had a reason why he allowed this to happen. I don't have the answers to that. I know it was not in his plan for them to be killed. I know that Satan came and stole my family, but God allowed it for a reason. It's not for me to question that. And I accept that I had to stay behind. I will never get all these answers, but I believe God is sovereign and he is in control. And that's a wonderful thing to have because it's so easy to stray and to think, okay, God's not in control, but he is. That's Hanalee Gronwald. While serving in Afghanistan, she paid a high price for the gospel when her husband and two teenage children were martyred for their faith. I hope you'll take the time to listen to the two entire episodes we devoted to Hanalee's story here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. You can hear all our past programs at vomradio.net. That includes all the stories you're hearing today as part of this Best of 2016 program. Again, the web address is vomradio.net. My name is Todd Nettleton. We've heard how Hanalee Gronwald suffered a tragic loss while on the mission field. That's also what happened to Nick and Ruth Ripken. They were living in Africa, making frequent trips to dangerous places like Somalia. They knew the grief of watching many Somali brothers and sisters be killed. Then on Easter Sunday, their own son died in an asthma attack. I asked Nick if he was tempted to doubt God's love in that terrible moment. I, I probably would say no at that point. I think... Uh understanding God at the deeper levels doesn't make it easier because I had already come through Somalia so much where I, I we were there six months before we before we ever met a woman that had not been repeatedly raped so when I come in and out of Somalia sometimes Ruth comes in and out we don't go together because it's too dangerous and kids not going to lose both parents at the same time if we can 
if, if that's our, that, you know, our choice, and God gave us that choice. But uh, I, I ask uh, early on in those Somali years not why me, God, but why not me? Because I, I grew up so rough, I never had anything gentle like my wife and loving like my kids. But it, it felt like it was my turn. But it also felt like it wasn't enough for Satan to run us out of Somalia. He had to crush our hearts so we wouldn't start again. I, I get to the hospital. I'd done CPR on my son, and uh, he lived for about an hour after we got to the hospital in time for Ruth and our oldest son to get there, leaving our 11-year-old to sleep at home. And for one of my best friends to get there, I called him that worked with us in Somalia. And, and, but the next morning, waking up that son was a hard, hard time. But uh, Ruth and I had already talked and prayed, and we said to the boys, uh, same thing that we'd said often in Somalia, uh, we can't change this. We would, never, we, we would never premeditatively chosen for our son to die like God did. See, that, that's, that's where I could not understand is how God can do this stuff so premeditatively and send his son to die, and when his son screams out, save me, Dad, get me off of this, why have you forsaken me, and he can get him off that cross, and he doesn't. That's, that's why we have a book and a documentary called The Insanity of God, because anybody that professes to understand that kind of love, uh, I think, is blowing smoke. And, and so um, I, I felt like, and led our family to say, we can't change this, but we're not going to waste this. And, and so how can we bless God even through the death of our son? And four years prior to that, we had been asked to begin developing discipleship materials for believers and folks like us that work in persecution. So after our son's death and some recuperation, we revisited that. And so we began traveling among believers in persecution. Ruth would have told you, we're doing this to developing resources. I'm doing this because I don't know if, if Jesus is trustworthy anymore. Because I couldn't say in Somalia. It'd be a lie to say. Uh, I knew it intellectually. Probably knew it spiritually. But if I can't be honest with God, who can I be honest with? Uh, and if I had said, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, when they killed four of my best friends on one day, in Mogadishu, uh, just because they believed in Jesus. Uh, can I say that in a place where there was 150 believers when we went to that country and when we got kicked out, there's only four left alive? How could I pray that and say that? So Somali believers are dead. Our son is dead. Our dreams are dead. And we want to know, is Jesus for the tough places, like where you guys report on, or is Jesus just for the dressed-up Western church? And so... Where do we go to find the answers? We've already done the seminary. We've done the, the denominational schools. So we just decided to go to believers in persecution and really sit at their feet, humbled and broken, and ask them to teach us how do they make Christ known in hard places? How do they do more than survive, oftentimes thrive in persecution? And that led to the journey to where we're sitting together today. Now Nick and Ruth Ripkin are continuing to work with persecuted believers, learning from their experience and example, and spreading their insights and their stories to others who may be facing persecution. We're listening to highlights from 2016 here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio, 
A couple weeks ago, we were reviewing some of the most listened to programs of the year, and we heard the story of John Short, who was detained inside North Korea for spreading gospel literature. Another highlight from the year was hearing from John's wife, Karen. She remembers what it was like to pray and study God's word while her husband was completely cut off from her, being held inside North Korea. It was an intense time, but then we naturally, we get up very early, we always have, and to be quiet with the Lord and read, and there's always a word, a timely word, just sit still. I held on to that, and my request for John, only one thing I asked, really, was that he would be able to keep his Bible. And I thought, if he's got the Word of God with him, he'll be fine if he can read the scriptures and thankfully God answered that prayer. On each occasion of entry into North Korea I make a point of putting my Bible on the top of my possessions. The North Korean says what's that and I say that's a Bible, that's my Bible. You can't take that into North Korea. I say well then if I can't take that in I don't go in because I'm a Christian. I read my Bible every day. I need this with me. Then they will say, now, it will be recorded. You must bring this out again. For that reason, I thank God, I was then able to keep it in my possession, even when detained for, for the entire time. A daily habit, we read a, cha- a certain chapter of certain books every day, plus other things. So I thought if he had the scriptures, he would be, we'd be on the same page. She knew what I would be reading each day of the month. On the ninth day, I would be reading the ninth chapter of Proverbs. We read through the Proverbs. She knew I'd be reading that on that day. She knew that I would be reading John's Gospel. Apart from whatever else we read, we read through John's Gospel every month. She knew I'd be reading the ninth chapter. I knew she'd be reading that, as I've done previously, when apprehended by the by the Chinese government, I will sit there quietly and read through Romans. Read it, read it, read it again and again. You're reading the same things. How did that, what was the effect of that? That will really one in heart and we would be appreciating probably in more depth than ever before what we were reading and it was so practical and so encouraging in a difficult situation there or here, facing as we had to face uh, separated. But then we would be united in prayer at the throne of grace and total confidence in the Lord. And I knew he was a light in a dark place. The outcome we may never know. Uh, the man that investigated him that was so brutally anti-God, I mean, he may be in heaven I mean, the Lord knows the details. We do what he wants us to do, and we're finite. So his ultimate purpose, we, we just leave it in his hands. That's Karen Short talking about the source of her strength as her husband John was detained inside North Korea. You can hear the whole story from John and Karen Short at vomradio.net. Hearing stories of those suffering around the world for their faith can have a huge impact on us. It affects the way we pray. It affects the way we follow Christ. It affects the way we read the Bible. 
I hope you got a taste of that today as we reviewed some of the highlights from 2016 here on the Voice of the Martyrs radio. You can hear the longer, complete versions of each of those stories by visiting us online at vomradio.net. That's vomradio.net. Next week, we're going to continue to review highlights from this past year. You're going to hear about what God is doing in Iran and China and other places where the gospel is so desperately needed, but is also restricted. I hope you'll have a Merry Christmas. God's blessings to you and your family. Join us again here next week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.